You are listening to the Salem First Hunting and Fishing Podcast. Our mission is to connect with and actively engage Western Oregon outdoorsmen. Listen to this podcast, join our Facebook group at Salem First Hunting and Fishing Club, or participate in any of our club fishing trips, shooting events, or hunting trips. All right, welcome to the Salem First Hunting and Fishing Podcast, our first real episode. Are you excited, Eric? I'm very excited. Yeah, I mean, it's been a lot of talking and thinking and planning and preparing before we got to where we are, Yeah, but here we are. We're doing it. We're here. Yep. Uh, so in this episode, you can expect a little bit of local news. Today, we're going to talk about hound hunting in Oregon. And then our guest today uh, sounds like is sort of a bass specialist. Oh. But it's funny because this is all about the Pacific Northwest and Western Oregon. But our first guest ever is not even from here. California. <laughs> even California, but come comes here from Missouri now. Been out of California for quite a while, right? Yes. It's almost all worn off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so any listeners out there who immediately wanted to turn the show off, you can rest easy because uh he didn't come to Oregon from California. No. no. He went to uh Minnesota, right? Minnesota first, then Missouri. Awesome. Well, Eric, you want to introduce our guest? So yeah, today we have my cousin, uh, Pastor Dennis Luce on the show. He's actually our first guest, so that's awesome for me. Uh, you're on our top 10. So. Oh, well, thanks. I'm honored. Yeah. I really am. Um, Dennis is the pastor of a church, Crown Point Church. I actually watch your guys' live stream quite oh, right a bit. On. Yeah. And, you know, even over COVID, and it's been great to kind of... Uh, been able to see you by way of YouTube mm-hmm. over the last couple of years. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah, I'm honored. Yeah, glad for you to be on. And even though you can't uh, give us blacktail hunting tips in the rainforest of the coastal mountains, you no, know, I cannot. You can still talk about bass fishing and you know, yep, chase white tail deer, right? Yep. And that is a funny difference. You know, in Missouri, you basically sit and ambush them. Uh-huh. So totally different deal. Yep. Yep. And there's guys here. Uh, especially a lot of archery hunters who will tree stand hunt. And even mm-hmm. uh, I was just looking through the record books and there was a handful of bucks that were taken from tree stands, even in the records. But, you know, for the most part, it's a lot of still hunting. It's a lot of glassing and clear cuts. So mm-hmm. okay. hiking up into the woods. And and move, that's what we did around. when I was a kid in San Diego. But Oh, yeah? What did yeah. you hunt for in San Diego? Well, it was whitetail, but... Really? Okay. But, you know, you're talking about... your the best shot's going to be 250 yards or something. Sure, yeah. Where Missouri, you know, you I mean, you might take a 150-yard shot, but sure. typically you're way closer, and then bow hunting, you're right on them. Uh-huh. I do mean, you, that's such a different world. Do you mostly bow hunt or rifle hunt? I do both. Both? Okay, yeah. sweet. I mean, the rifle season's only 10 days. Yeah. Well, oh, you yeah. can do the... Short. And they have alternative methods. I mean, you can do... I don't do black powder, but they change it to Missouri where you can even use your 45. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. But, but I did this <laughs> I did this last year. I never thought I would, but I bought a crossbow. Oh that, yeah. That's like a gun. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. you know, you feel like you're yep. cheating. Uh-huh. I mean, really. Well, do you use it during the archery season? Yes. Oh wow. I did. Okay. I did. I Wow. Yeah, I didn't actually use my bow this year and I felt like a cheater. Yeah, you are a cheater. I know. <laughs> so yeah. is that optics ready? <clears throat> yeah. Oh wow. Oh yeah. You can and 
quite honestly, it's super accurate at, you know, 60 yards. It's crazy. Where typically you're thinking 30, uh-huh. you know, or, or less. I mean, you can take a 40. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't yeah. want to, I would never take a 50 just. Oh, really? Well, with I the wouldn't. crossbow? No, with the regular bow. Oh, we're, okay. I would never want to take a chance of wounding something and. Yep, yep. You know, but yeah, with that crossbow, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It is cheating. So, I'll, I'll be honest. Yeah. <laughs> they, uh, in the last three or four years, they've been toying with the idea. Because right now, crossbow hunting is completely illegal in Oregon. No way. You can't, wow. you can't take one of the woods. But uh, they've been toying with the idea of making it legal um, for the rifle season. Okay. Which, that makes more sense to me than, because a lot of people get all up in arms. They're like, no, no, no crossbows. Yeah. But, I mean, if it's during the rifle season, what yep. difference does it make? Right. Well, it's weird, too, because you'll go into Sportsman's Warehouse, Cabela's, Bass Pro Shop, whatever. They'll have them there for sale, but mm-hmm. you can't use them. Oh. So it's like... It, you can you can play you can with practice. them. You might be able to do varmint control on your private property with it. But here's my thought, is you could shoot squirrels that are barking at you without scaring away all the deer. That's a good point. that would be pretty awesome to be able to do during the rifle season. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I don't know a whole lot about crossbows what kind of poundage are you working with there is is it adjustable well it is it is to a degree but yeah that they're i mean they're coming out of there you know the the foot per second is so fast and and they're flat that's the difference that's a big difference you know when you shoot with your bow you got that arc which you know usually you don't think about it you just got your pin set but with that like you're talking about the optics i mean the the variate the variation between you know, a 30 yard shot and a 60 yard shot is so minuscule. You're still in that sweet spot. So that could be a tack driver if you needed it. Too. Oh, dude. Yeah. It is cheating. Now you make <laughs> me feel guilty. I don't know well, if I can use it next year. Maybe just use it during the <laughs> rifle season. <laughs> well, you can do that too. I never oh, knew wow. that. That's I mean, cool. you can. So you could hunt with the crossbow throughout all the seasons? Yeah. If you wanted, yeah. Wow. And you just, yeah. And when you, when you, uh, tag the deer, you just That's tag so it on your rifle tag. What about turkeys? Do you guys have turkeys oh, out a there? a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that's big. It big is big. Yep. Yeah. In Missouri. Yeah. And I've never done it. You know, all my friends are like, you would love it. Cause you call them in and, uh, huh. you know, have you guys ever rattled in a deer? Yeah. Oh, okay. I've tried so many. I try like for five days out of the year, every, <laughs> every rifle season. Yeah. I when we get one. desperate, we start yeah. <laughs> <laughs> rattling. Well, no, I, I've like. That's one on my hunting bucket list is to rattle in a buck. And I've only done it a couple times. Okay, but okay. when you do, yeah, it's it's pretty cool to watch them respond and yeah, you know. And I've done it to little you know forked horns or something just to mess with them. Oh really? Oh yeah. And they they're, they give you time of day. Oh yeah, they huh? look around and they're they're prancing. You know, <laughs> they're looking and so it's fun just to kind of even get those guys out of the way maybe. But oh sure sure. But the thing is, the guys who turkey hunt tell me, I mean, that's the whole game uh-huh. with them. Yeah. But yep, I've just never yep. done it. Have you ever? elk hunted at all or no okay i'd love to do that so i've helped elk hunted for a few years I saw that. well that's a shed i found oh, yeah okay yeah okay uh which i found that during the deer season mm. I, he's pointing at a shed i have sitting up on my um, in my office in here i uh el- have elk hunted with my buddy without a tag i just go along without oh, a weapon like and a help spotter. call yeah yeah help spot and call and so i've got my calling down and i just bought my first bow so oh. i'm gonna go uh, this September is when season starts okay. and I'll be walking around the woods screaming, yeah. uh, trying to get in an elk. <laughs> they just reintroduced elk to Missouri. Okay. And they, they're limited tags. 
So I don't know how that's going to work, you know, because typically yeah. we'd have to go to Colorado or somewhere oh, sure. and spend, you Out know, huge state. money. Yeah. And yeah, I just haven't wanted to do it. But are are they expecting an elk season to come from that? Well, they they already had one. Oh, but it was okay. lim- limited. You Got know. it. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. You had to draw for it. Uh huh. Kind of well, like our eastern. our eastern Oregon hunts. Yeah, you got to really you got to draw. Mm. I mean, there's some tags that you could draw every year, but they're harder hunts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even out here on the west side of the state, it's a general season tag for your rifle and archery mm-hmm. for elk. You know, it's just uh, hard chasing them through the sticks. Oh yeah, yeah. But one thing that we want to do uh, every episode to keep Eric and I accountable to our outdoor heritage is talk about something we did in the last seven days. That was in the outdoors, and I think, Eric, you have a pretty good story for us. Yeah, I have a pretty decent story. So Bryant and I decided, hey, you know, in order to make this a thing, we've got to be out actually doing what we're talking about, right? So we had the bright idea to go fishing at uh, Henry Hag Lake. You know, I live probably about 20 minutes from him, and we meet up at his house. I don't know, it was like 6 o'clock in the morning. Yep. I'm literally pulling into his driveway, and he texts me. Oh, yeah, by the way, it might be snowing. Mm. Dress warm. <laughs> so, I mean, I sent the text earlier. It's not my fault you didn't read it until then. <laughs> hey, I was driving, man. I was trying to be a good citizen. So, anyway, get over Brian's house, realized, oh, man, this is, it's a lot colder than I thought it was. It was, I don't know, 30 degrees, maybe somewhere yeah. in there. Yeah, somewhere about. We get out to Henry Hag Lake. I've got a Grundon's jacket on. And a pair of cargo pants that are Teflon coated. They're mm-hmm. supposed to be, you know, weather resistant, but not waterproof. But no. not waterproof. And yeah. it's it's like the mixed rain snow. Oh, it's wet. Yeah. yeah. So we get in the boat. We get launched. I was. We were probably I don't know maybe 15, 20 minutes into the fish, and I'm completely soaked. Oh. My pants are 100. Per- they look like they just came out of the wash. Oh, and man. we're just trolling for rainbow trout, so we're going about 1.5 miles an hour. Oh. It, it was a slow, cold. Mm-hmm. However, we got goose egged. And then uh, when we started shivering, we realized we couldn't last much longer. I mean, we probably got a good hour and a half <laughs> yeah. out in the freezing cold with no bites. But, but you did it. You were there. <laughs> yeah, no gloves. I oh, mean, oh, man, my, it was hard. My 12-foot aluminum John boat with mm-hmm. a 1965 Evinrude, mm-hmm. five and a half horse on the back. Wow. But I got that thing starting on the third pole. So nice. nice. Even in the 30 degrees. <laughs> it took me a solid three or four hours after I took a shower <laughs> yeah. to feel like I was halfway human again. And I was just sore from being so cold. Your muscles get oh, all tense. Yeah. Yep. And I was wearing rain gear that I needed to buy new rain gear every year because the blackberries tear it oh, up. But still, sure. I couldn't imagine how cold Eric must have been. Oh, he had to be dying. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty bad. So here's the lesson learned, right? If the forecast says 30 degrees and snowing at Henry Hag Lake, you better bundle up. There you go. Yep, yep. Hey, while we're talking about goose eggs, I have another goose egg to share and that I dropped the ball on what is supposedly the easiest deer tag in Oregon. It's any deer. It runs from September 1 and it ends on February 28th. It's a long time to shoot any deer with any legal weapon. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I didn't make it happen. Mm. So here's my excuse. I made the mistake of holding out throughout the whole first part. I was... I was not going to shoot anything that wasn't a nice buck Yep. until the rut hit. And then during the rut, I was busy filling my general season rifle tag, telling myself, well, I'll have time to... And then I got to duck hunting, mm. and that's all that I did for a while. I took my 
my uh, buckshot loads with me when I'd go duck hunting on the river. Strictly a river tag for me. And normally the river produces, especially if you know where to go on the right river, you know, you can find deer every time. But the this last two years, actually, the river has been really rough for me for filling deer tags, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't know if you know in Oregon, you're allowed to float the rivers as long as it's not propelled by a motor. Like oh. even if your boat has a motor and the motor's off, you can oh, we can't do that. Float the rivers and shoot from the boat. Uh-uh. Yeah. That would yeah. be nice. We can't yeah. do that. Well, you'd think it would make it real easy, and normally it does. But this year, hmm. man, I, I gave it some really strong attempts right at the end there. But this time of year, the deer start to get nocturnal again. Mm-hmm. Or even right after the rut, they, they yeah, go they back to down. being yeah. nocturnal. And yeah. so it's like missed out on the legendary 615. And let me tell you, I'm never going to put in for that tag again. No. It's just a meat tag, and I fill yeah. my general season tag every year. How many you know? do you take? Uh, one. We okay. get one buck is the general season tag. Uh-huh. And then uh, when I had my 615, that's an additional tag, which would have been oh, an okay. additional deer of any gender. But it ended up not being an additional deer of any gender for me. <laughs> hmm. Okay. We freaked a couple people out. He did kill this buck. So Brian asks me, you know, hey. Can I put the deer carcass in the walk-in freezer here at the church? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't go over it super well. It lasted, I think it was in there for five days yeah. before I got the notice from lead pastor, like, hey, you got to get this thing out of the walk-in. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, who okayed that? Yeah, that would be <laughs> Eric. It seems like the perfect place yeah. to yeah. age a deer, but I guess the church members don't agree with that. Well, I'm sure that freak them out walking in there. Yeah. You know, yeah. it makes me, you guys talking about this makes me realize how good we have it on the deer tags, at least in Missouri. Oh, yeah. Because you, when you buy, when you buy the tags, I mean, it's cheap too. It's like 14 bucks. Oh, you, really? You get turkey tags included. Wh- included? Yeah. Wow. And then you, when you buy it, you'll get a any deer. Wow. That's, that's what you start with. And then you can add doe tags depending on the county. Most counties allow three deer, so you know, wow. one, yeah, one one any deer and then then two doe, and then you can add them if you're shooting in different counties. Yeah, if wow. you did that here, there would be no deer left. <laughs> well, and, and and that's part of it. You know, there's so many deer there yeah. that you know they're like I was I was talking to my son about it driving around here, and you don't we always see those signs, you know, watch out for deer. Like in I could count on one hand the deer I've seen, but in Missouri, oh my gosh, there's deer on the side of the road. I mean, every week you're seeing you know car kills, and so it's it's yeah. di- and it's different depending on where you're at. So uh, moving the show along, we want to bring you some local hunting and fishing news, and for our first ever episode, we're actually going to start on kind of a sad one. You know, we gotta we gotta protect uh, hunting and what's going on, and so. I've got in front of us here, Oregon House Bill 2912, uh, which they reuse House Bill numbers. So this is the 2023 2912. What this bill is proposed to do is change the language in the original legislation that banned hound hunting for cougars and bears to include all wild cats. So uh, specifically, they list out wild cats means cougars lynx and bobcats uh back in 1996 is when the people of oregon voted to outlaw hound hunting for cougars and uh, so now here we are in 2023 and they want to do the final blow so dennis i'm curious uh are you aware of the hound hunting world in missouri you have any intersections with that you know some guys will use them but it's not very common 
you know, my dad grown up in Northern Cal, you know, um, in Ukiah, north of, north of San Francisco. That's, that's how they did it. Mm. And he said a lot of times we for, were... The, for cougars? No. Okay. Deer. Oh, for deer. They okay. were using dogs. Yeah. And, and he said basically his dad used the kids as dogs, you know, uh-huh. basically to... <laughs> Just do some pushes. But we don't... Yeah, I don't, I don't know anybody who does that. Okay. I yeah. mean, it might be done, but I'm not aware of it. Yeah. I, I have a really close buddy who is in the hound hunting realm. Mm. And so, of course, coon hounds, you know, mm-hmm. raccoon hunting, that no one really cares about that for some reason. But as soon as it's a cougar or a bobcat, uh, people have this image in their head. And I always find myself defending hound hunting, even mm. to other hunters, mm-hmm. because there's just this ignorance of the amount of work it is. And, uh, you know, of course, the first thing you imagine is, oh, well, you release your dog and it chases a cat up a tree and you shoot it. But actually, uh, it's a lot of work. So I'll give an example. Two months ago, I went on a hound hunting trip with that same buddy. Oh, that's cool. We were going down the road and there's a steep embankment on our right. And the dogs just all at the same moment freak out, jump off this embankment and down through a marsh and then up and immediately a treat. Mm. And we didn't know if it was a raccoon or a bobcat. So we're laying on our backs under the tree with binoculars for a good 30, 45 minutes. And you can't see a dang thing. Mm. We're looking, we're looking, we're looking. And finally, uh, it jumped tree. And so that's when we saw it. And we're like, that's a bobcat. We okay. still couldn't see it. We saw it jump from tree to tree. And mm-hmm. it's just invisible. We just never found that cat again. And we were there for three hours looking hound hunting is not as easy as it sounds Mm -hmm. right for anyone listening who has never even seen a hound dog and just kind of has this image of their head of of rednecks with dogs chasing stuff up trees it's very efficient selective but it's hard work Mm -hmm. something that we definitely want to protect plus to train a dog like that that's incredible it's a 365 day a year effort yeah one thing i saw in here that kind of surprised me was uh lynx Lynx, i didn't know we had a lynx population here uh as far as i know we don't okay so pay attention to that bill 2912 the last news i saw was from january 16th it was referred to the agriculture land use natural resources and water committee for uh, consideration all right eric let's get into our guest well every podcast we want to start out with you know a few questions to kind of get the icebreaker. My first question for you, this is a pretty serious one that Bryant and I talk about quite a bit. Monofilament or fluorocarbon? Fluorocarbon, dude. Yeah. I'm all fluorocarbon. Yes. Uh, That's where I'm at. (laughs) I don't like the float and I don't like the springy. Yeah. You know what? (laughs) I've had such bad experience with fluorocarbon. Really? What? What have you had happen? Always splinters and shreds. Do you guys, have you not had the shredding? Well, I'm sure Eric's more of an authority than me. Oh, highly (laughs) doubt that. Okay, second question. Baitcaster or spinning rod? It depends, but mostly baitcaster. But, you know, there's some kind of more finesse stuff. I'm just not great at the baitcaster enough to do that the spinning is, I mean, I can put that spinning rod anywhere. No risk of backlash, you know, which. Man, so So that was the other thing I was going to say was backlashing with mono is pretty common just because of the memory. Yep. I went out with a buddy. Oh, he has this brand new two $300 setup. He ended up making a mistake. He put mono on a Shimano SLX DC. What's that? So <laughs> it's a, it's a, 
it's a bait casting reel that has electronic brakes. Oh goodness! Wow, electronic, yeah. electronic. Cool. Anyway, we get out there. He hadn't ever bait casted, having a really hard time with it, and he ended up having to cut most of what was on his reel out. Been there. Now, I, a lot of friends of mine too. They they use a lot of braided. Yeah, but if you get good at skipping, like bait casting, like you were saying, mm-hmm. oh man, docks. Yeah. are so fun to go skip and flip under. They actually hold some pretty big bass yeah. too. So I'm sure the Oregon state record bass is nothing compared to the Missouri state record bass because they just don't get as big up here in the north. Well, then every, a lot of guys like from Missouri go fish Florida. Yeah. And then they're ruined. Yeah. Because yep. you go out there yep. and, you know, 8, 10, 15. Like, but coming from California. Yeah, I mean, they're, California's actually um, gotten a lot more exposure the last couple of years, especially in bass fishing. <clears throat> you know, our Northwest tour now includes California stops at Shasta, oh. Clear Lake. Mm-hmm. There's a couple different fisheries that are kind of becoming more well-known down there. But, you know, growing up, we didn't bass fish. Really? I never heard of it. I didn't do it until I went to Missouri. Wow, okay. I didn't bass fish until I moved down here. And, you know, it took me several years to get into it. But I always just thought it, you know, like Bryant was talking about coon hunting and stuff. I just thought it was kind of a hillbilly sport. And so I just didn't do it. (laughs) Maybe it is. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe we are. (laughs) I'm a hillbilly. I love bass fishing. (laughs) Yep. I think bass fishing has gained in popularity recently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think catfishing is the new bass fishing. That's You're a sure. hillbilly. If you yeah, that's true. Fishing. I'll give you that. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, I mean, bass fishing is the number one uh, sport fishery in the world. I believe it. And, you know, you see some of these guys went in two, three hundred, five hundred thousand oh, yeah. a tournament. Insane. It, it's, there's well, crazy money out there. Well, then, you know, I've noticed too, like I, a couple of times I bought like a lure online. Sure. Didn't realize I was buying something from Japan. Yeah. Oh, then yeah, I'm like, yeah. Wait a minute. If they're selling lures, there's a huge industry over there. Yeah. 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 Huge. Actually, um, within the last, I don't know, probably six months to a year, I've been purchasing a lot of lures like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting into mega bass, you know, they've they've got a lot of cool live swim baits. Mm-hmm. So I like the Japanese stuff. Uh, they, I think they're a little bit ahead of the curve. Yeah. I think in, so too. in a lot of their technologies. Um, I hate so, to say that, but oh, I think yeah. you're right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, they are. Japanese. I mean, they're good at making stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Dennis, are you ready for the question of the hour? I guess so. Can you share your favorite hunting or fishing story or outdoor experience? You know, some of my best memories are fishing and doing stuff with my dad. You know, I don't remember catching a lot of fish. Yeah. You know, honestly, it wasn't about that. It was the time. And so, you know, my son's in the room. He's not on the mic, but I... You know, when you guys ask that, I think to me, the best experiences are when he is blowing up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and we were talking, uh, we were just talking this just a couple of days ago about, seems like this last year, every time we went out, he caught way more than me and way bigger. Oh, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think there's part of you, I mean, you don't want to ever go out and get goose egged. I mean, yeah. nobody wants that. But there is something about just being there. Like, we were there. Like, you guys were talking about being freezing and cold, but you were there. Yeah. And, uh. I don't know. It's just one of those times. I know we were out this while back, you know, and, and his girlfriend had gone along and, you know, right away he's catching bass. What's funny is, is my son, he uses the, basically the same crankbait every time and he catches all the time. And he'll be, sometimes he'll grab, you know, bluegill or whatever off the shore or whatever. But I, I think what it is, is he's, because he knows the weight of that thing and he's, he's used to it. I mean, he can put it right there, right, you know, two inches from the shore. 
you know, he's not banging up against the rocks or getting caught in trees. And so he's good at that. But so is it the same lure? Does he have a bunch of copies of the lure? Well, I've had we've had to buy new ones because yeah, he's, yeah. he's broke the you know True. the tip off or broke the uh-huh. broke the you know the end of it off and one probably the first one he broke I kept it. Yeah. And, oh, nice. Because yep. we we went and got it. It was floating frame over there. That one. Well, yeah, that thing is. <laughs> That's pretty sweet. I mean, I can't even imagine how many he's caught. But that day, I think between us we caught twenty five. Wow. You know, and a lot of those were bluegill. Sure. And, and it was funny because his girlfriend at one point she's like, "Do you?" never use the live well you don't keep any of these (laughs) well if we knew we were catching that many bluegill maybe but you know we're not eating those we're we always tell them go home get bigger make babies and we'll be back you know that's how we look at it but but that was probably the best day ever just because wow you're just when you're catching it's awesome Uh i mean it's always good always good to be out but you know when when you caught that many but Uh i don't know how many bass he caught that day it was ridiculous wow that's cool yeah, nice. that's always a good time. I love it. And you want to share the exact coordinates of where that took place? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's one thing. Being from San Diego originally, you know, we didn't, a lot of outdoor stuff to do. Right. But sure. if, you know, deep sea fishing did a lot of that. You know, my dad, basically, my memories with him are trout fishing streams. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. And, and we, you know, you mentioned Clear Lake. I mean, we fished there a lot and stuff because my grandma's from up there. But it's, it's different. Like in Missouri, where we live, a lot of, lot of lakes. Mm-hmm. A lot of man-made, you know, you got Lake of the Ozarks down south, it's huge, you know, up north, Smithville, but this lake was Blue Springs, and it's no big deal. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a local lake, you know, guys, you can catch there. Sweet. I think I did mention Lake O is on my bucket list. Yeah, that, yeah. That is, oh man, it looks so And nice. it's starting to come alive, I mean, because yeah. they're oh, further yeah. south than us. They're they're two and a half hours, three hours south, so they're they're already doing, you know, spring bass. Oh, yeah. You know, let me tell you one stupid story though. Okay, let me hear it. So we're fishing <laughs> that same lake, but a different place. We weren't catching much. I don't know. I don't think we caught anything this day, but we had gone back out into this area that's pretty shallow, a lot of stumps, and uh, I have this old crest liner, and we got stuck on a stump really good. I couldn't get off with the trolling motor. It was because you know you're uh-huh. stirring up mud. It's probably we're probably in two feet of water at this point, and we're wow. like, oh, this is a mess. You know, and it's probably two feet of mud. So we get out there and, and uh, couldn't rock it, couldn't get off the stump. And so I stood up in the front of the boat and I'm pushing on a tree that's probably only six feet tall. I mean, it's not very big. I'm pushing, trying to get us off. Well, the tree breaks. Uh. <laughs> so I go falling into the water. Oh, no. Yeah, you know, and I'm, I'm floating on my back thinking I do not want to stand up in this muck, you know, because it's so muddy. So I float around to the back of the boat trying to climb up. And I don't know if you guys even know this, but I got a prosthetic leg. I look, I lost my foot years ago. Wow. So I'm climbing. I, I didn't even notice. Yeah, you would. Yeah. Wow. So I'm climbing up. Well, my foot comes loose because I'm not paying attention. It's a hold down by suction. So okay. I'm... And I stand up and like, oh my God, my foot. Your foot fell off. It's off. <laughs> can't find it. You know, and we're just like. It's just in the mud somewhere? It's in there and the water's all muddy and dark yeah. now and you can't. Yeah. And I'm trying to feel around for it. Well, in the process, the boat came loose. So we had drifted. Oh no. We're like, oh my gosh. So yeah. yeah I got to find it. I mean, it's, yeah. I can't, you know, I can't Probably walk without it. Money, right? Oh God, it's yeah, 25 grand or something just Ooh, for your wow. leg, you know, I, but I can't walk without, I mean, and I can't stand up in the mud and find it because on one foot you'd just be stinking yeah. and stuck. And yeah. so Theo's about ready to jump in, but I found it anyway, but I don't know how long that took, but you know, at that point you're praying at one point laughing at the foolishness of it, you know, and yeah. just thinking about, oh God, here we are in this lake and imagine someone pulling that up. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Man, that would be yeah. It's not like pulling. It's not like snagging someone's line in yeah. an old nope. lure. You you're snag their you're foot. snagging someone's leg. You know, like oh god. Wow, that's no, actually 
kind of an interesting story to talk about because, you know, every year on the day that Dennis lost his foot, you call it the... Uh, <laughs> Yay, I'm not dead day. Yay, wow. I'm not dead day. <laughs> I was a youth pastor in Los Angeles. And um, real quick story, my kid, a couple of my junior high kids, their dad had been murdered. It was a horrible thing. But he rode a Harley. I rode a Harley. It, very long story short, the wife asked me, you know, hey, Pastor Dennis, would you would you mind riding the riding Ray's bike around the block in his memory one time? Because it was right at Christmas. You know, literally, we'd just been in the house talking to them, the urns on the mantle, the Christmas trees up right before Christmas. And, uh, you know, what am I going to say? Like, sure. Yeah. You know, and it's L.A. I'm wearing shorts in December, of course. So uh, so I head out riding that bike. And as I come into an intersection, there's a station wagon ahead of me. And he comes into the intersection about 35 this girl tried to beat him through the light. You know, the police report said she was doing 45-50. So when she hit him, they slid into me. My leg got trapped. I flew over. Wow. So it dislocated, dislocated, shattered my hip, and then tore my foot off. So I'm, you know, I rolled to a stop just thinking, you know, I didn't know what I was thinking, honestly. You're, you're yeah. disoriented. I don't know if you've been in an accident. You're disoriented. You got all this indiscriminate pain. You know, I look down, see, this is gross, I know, but... Yeah, yeah. But you guys are outdoorsmen, you've seen gross stuff, you know, yeah. if you've ever processed the deer, you've mm-hmm. seen worse than this, but, you know, anyway, I, I I can't sit up, didn't realize my hip was dislocated. You know, I'll be honest with you, I felt an incredible peace. I just felt a wave of peace knowing, you know, God's going to take care of this. Yeah. Wow. And yeah. Um, Even in that moment. Oh, in that moment, it was pretty, it was surreal, because I've had skeptics say, that's kind of a, a shock. I'm like, you say what you want, because I knew... I knew right then God's got this, whatever it is. Yeah. I, obviously it's bad. Wow. You know, I could, I picked up my leg and my foot's hanging there off of shredded. It was gross. So here's what happens is everybody's freaked out. Yeah. So the cars all stop, people are walking up, but nobody's doing anything. I'm just like, guys, out. Yeah. did anybody call the police? And they're all just staring. You know, all, all, everything got knocked out of my pockets. I get a phone from a guy in a car next to me. This is a true story. I'm like, hey, can I borrow your phone? I call the police. As I, you're sitting there with yep, your foot hanging off. Yep. I called the church because I'm bleeding out and I can't tourniquet. I can't lean down and get to it. Yeah. But no lie. I mean, God was so present through the whole thing, you know, and uh huh. he's used that as an opportunity to share my faith with people, you know, or, or even to encourage people, you know, who are, you know, maybe they, maybe they're an amputee or, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. they don't, they don't have any hope or, uh huh. you know, and, and, uh, Theo's been with me a million times, you know, we hike, we do everything. We're outdoors all the time. And yeah, people always ask. Or they say something like, oh, you're an inspiration and always cracks me up. Like usually they're saying that because I'm doing something normal. Uh-huh. <laughs> sure. uh-huh. You know, kind of what they mean is you're an inspiration to be able to do normal things. <laughs> you know, but but it's cool. I get it. I yeah. know what they mean. You yeah. know, but I sure I get to share my faith with people nonstop. You know, I, because I'd of say it. hiking and hunting and fishing is above normal, too. Well, it is. You're yeah. right. You're right. And and looking at you now, you're you're a fit dude and you have a positive attitude and, you know, active pastor of a church and everything what was it always like that or was there a rough recovery um or time when you had to make the decision to really heal you know that's a great question because a lot of people you know it 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 shatters their faith like why would god let this happen to me and then you know and and this is a fair question you know people like hey you're a pastor you're doing god's work and this happens and my attitude has never been that as christians or pastors that that we're exempt from life you know life happens to everybody you know, Jesus said the rain falls on the just and unjust, you know, and it is attitude, you know, what I'm going to do. And like you guys, you didn't have to go fishing on a cold day. Yeah. You know, we hiked, um, whatever the 10 falls deal yesterday. Oh yeah. Silver falls. Silver yeah, falls. Half, half right. of it's yeah. in the snow and we're looking yep. like, we came here to do stuff. We're not going to sit home just cause it's rainy and snow on the ground. Like, yeah. let's, let's yeah. enjoy life. Let's do yeah. this. But there was a moment and, and, um, you know, I was in the hospital ready to go home, uh, for the first time. 
hadn't even been able to hold my baby. You know, we just had a baby and, oh, wow. and um, getting ready to go home and they found an infection. So in that moment, I did feel like, God, what in the world? You know, what else? Yeah. This is, yeah. And um, God does this. If you're willing to lean into him and let him heal and take you through hardship, because he promises to do that. He tells us we're going to have hard times, yeah. but he walks us through those things if we're willing to let him. But in that moment, I got a card from an old college professor. I didn't even know he knew where I was at. Yeah. And in that wow. card, it says, it said, I remember it said, Dennis, we're praying for you. And that overwhelmed me. Mm. Like, yeah. really? People know? I mean, not, I don't know. But but he also, he quoted a, an old theologian, Soren Kierkegaard, where he says, God loves you every day just as much as he did the day he died for you. Wow. Because a lot of times we, we, of course, rightly look at that as the most expression of love that God will ever give, you know, sending his son to die. Uh-huh. But he loves us that much every day. Yeah. And I needed yeah. to hear that that day. Wow. And honestly, that's carried me through. I mean, I, uh-huh. you know, I, yeah, I've never doubted. I've never, and, and I understand people doubting. I think that's reasonable. Sure. But I look at it like, if you're willing to lean into him, he's going to walk you through whatever. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Wow. You know, one of the inspirational things about you, just kind of my Robertson side of the family, <laughs> yeah. is everybody has Dennis's attitude, positive, mm. they're all believers, you know, they're all really easy people to be around, right? I think with that side of the family, we've experienced so much heartache over the yeah. years, a lot of loss. You know, it seems like a lot of these guys in our family, they're these these really manly men that are also gentle and meek and it's like strength under control, you know, which is an example. And you talk about, you know, Uncle Jerry, you know, yeah. the Green Beret, this just manly tough dude and just loving and kind and do anything for anybody you know and you know he died of cancer and I actually I flew into Salem my wife and I the day he was supposed to get out of the hospital be cancer free and and before we landed some mold or something had just taken over his body and killed him it was a huge heartbreak you know and we get here thinking we're having a celebration and I'm going to the store to buy a suit for a funeral, you know? Yeah, wow. But I'll tell you, his funeral was amazing. I mean, hundreds of people lined up just to say, Jerry changed my life. He did this. He said this. He, right down the line, you know? And and then even right now, our uncle James is, you know, battling cancer. And, you know, we've seen this happen. My sister, you mentioned, you know, she died in a horseback riding accident where, you know, they tried to save her, couldn't. And, um, you know, she had had such a life of, you know, some ups and downs, but, you know, her faith was just... She was, you know, on fire. And I, th- I think that's part of it where you look at that and, and you don't have an opportunity. You, you can question God and say, why do bad things happen to people? If God's all good, all powerful, all knowing, why would anything bad happen? And, you know, you can also look at it and say, why does anything good happen then? I mean, if you're, <laughs> yeah. you know, we act like only the bad things are the things we question, but what about the good? I mean, this is a God who's loving and caring and he gives and, and uh, he gives us choices and, and embedded in the choice is also the choice to do to do evil. Of course, there's evil in the world, but to blame it on him rather than, you know, human choices and human action or, you know, people have asked me for years, you know, why do you think this happened to you? It's, you know, losing my leg. And well, there was this this girl and she tried to beat a guy through light. You know, we've all done that probably. Yeah. You know, bad choice, which Uh ended up on consequences I live with every day, but I choose to look at it like, man, there's so much more good in the world and I can you know, I think about even, you know, 23rd Psalm. It's a beautiful Psalm. We, everybody knows it, you know, the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. And we love that part. But verse four says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death or the darkest yeah. valley, I will fear no evil because his rod and staff comfort me. I mean, we can choose to say, I believe in a God that is good. 
and he will bring, bring good. You know, even Romans eight twenty eight. you know, he works all things together for good. And a lot of that's our attitude. You know, if we push away or choose to be angry or whiners or complainers or, you know, we, we choose to lean into who he is and the, the, the fact that he can bring good out of whatever situation it is and then help us help people with it. You know, yeah. to me, I, yeah. I, I want to live like that. Yeah. 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 It's that's huge. That's awesome. So yeah. question, uh, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people, or uh, there might not be anyone ever listening to this, but there also might be <laughs> some people listening who, oh, you know, aren't aren't believers, right. you know, who uh, were like, I, I wanted to hear about hunting and fishing. But yeah. one thing that we do want to explore is sort of the spiritual reality of our engagement with the outdoors yep. and how our relationship with the Lord has a direct uh, correlation with yeah. our relationship with the outdoors. And I'm curious if you have any insight on that. Yeah, I do. I honestly, I've always felt closer to God in his creation. And I, you know, I'm a big science guy. I'm a science major in college. And that's when you start to see the beauty of what it is, you know, the intricacy of, of everything he made and not only the interconnected of, you know, not, not just life cycles and all that, but just I feel like I'm more close to him or I can sense and feel him more if I'm, you know, on the coast at the ocean and, you know, seeing that or, or even, even, um, you know, even being part of what he's made in all of this, you know, getting up and seeing a sunrise, you know, I've, yeah, I post a lot of sunrise pictures just because the beauty is just, I see God in all of that, you know, people look at it and you can, you could not see that. You can say, no, that's just the way the clouds look and the sun refracts and all right, but it doesn't have to be beautiful, and uh-huh. it is. I mean, we yeah. serve a God who, who he intended to make. I mean, his creation is so intricate and so beautiful. And even if you go, I mean, now now scientists are blown. There's so many scientists coming to faith because they look at it and they see the intricacy of the design, and they realize this can't be by accident. It can't. Yeah. And the, the deeper they go, even molecularly, you know, and they see the, the intricacy that's even at that level or out into space where we are just now seeing what God created and saw. Why, we yeah. serve a God that's just, he creates beauty. It's who he is. Absolutely. You know, yeah. it, he can't help but do that. Now we're seeing it, you know, and you think about what we as humans experience that a lot of animals, we know they can't even see that color spectrum. And yet we enjoy it and, and see it. To me, I just... Yeah. The more I'm around nature, the more I believe in him. Yeah. yeah. Well, and there's something cool about being able to harvest one of God's mm-hmm. creations, right? And then feed yourself from that, yeah, right? Yeah, right. I agree. Well, yeah. you were talking about passing on some deer, you know, and, mm-hmm. and bow hunting, such a different sport where you are right there, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't know how many I've passed on just because I just wanted to watch them. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And, you know, like I was waiting for that buck that you never get, but mm-hmm. but I'm still willing to wait and watch and it's just yeah. there's something really spiritual about that that I feel connected. Yeah. Or even, you know, I mentioned the coast that this is the first time in my life I've not lived on the coast. You know, my dad was navy, so we lived on a lot of coasts. But there, there's days I need to be on the water. Yeah, mm-hmm. I need to. I need that. Uh-huh. You know, I need that. It it centers me. It makes me feel connected to him. I mean, there's times I'll even go and not fish. I mean, I'll just be there. Oh yeah. You know, and sit and. It's it's interesting. I've I've heard another person that I've heard that has had some sort of a a traumatic experience or that kind of fell in love with the water, you Mm -hmm. know, water sports. And yeah, I know, I know for myself just being out there, it's so peaceful, you know, Mm -hmm. even in kind of a chaotic situation like we were in last weekend, you know, it was about spending time together 
and yeah as much as it kind of sucked in that moment yeah freezing to death but uh what's that they say embrace the suck yeah, yeah embrace right there you go. the suck yep. yeah. so you know i was i was able to kind of look at that and go well this was still a fun day you know yeah we had a good yeah. time back to the point of you know pro there's something deeply human about going out to the wilderness and finding those animals procuring your own food yes yeah. you know that uh in in the united states especially but in other first world countries if that's what we are right a first world <laughs> we, some places yeah <laughs> we've drifted so far we're so disconnected from our food mm-hmm. where when you pull a hot pocket out of the freezer you don't think about the fact that this pro very very processed item came from a living animal right you know there's pepperoni in it and cheese and you know the the grain was grown in a field and the tomatoes were grown on a farm all these pieces of of the super processed food that we're putting in ourselves have a natural basis and i kind of feel like uh the humans i have my my two hands touching each other right now on top of each other they used to be so connected to where their food come from because right, it was right. like all that they could do you know they needed to survive by hunting or fishing or gathering or farming but we've created a whole majority of society that has my hands are now drifting apart they've separated from where their food comes from so they're completely not only ignorant to it not ignorant in like the mean way ignorant in the definition of yeah. their unknowing of where their food comes from and it kind of causes them to be so separate from like basic meat production you know um but at the same time there's like a spiritual side to it because when you take the life of that animal yourself it impacts you and you you mm-hmm. take note of it so you can go to a restaurant and order a steak and not think anything of it but then when you are going and killing a deer in the woods and gutting that deer and cutting the deer yourself you know you're a part of every process and you're realizing everything that i eat i'm consuming the life of something right you know that the creature that god created something that was born and grew up and now i'm eating it you know it's a it's an important part of the human experience that many people are missing out of. I agree, and I, we're so separate from it that a lot of, even this bill you're talking about, they don't understand how all that works, you know. And I, yeah. I get if someone doesn't feel comfortable, you know, looking into deer's eyes and, and pulling that trigger or releasing that bow, but I get that. But what they don't realize is, you know, if that population becomes overpopulated, Oregon Department of Natural Resources, you know, Missouri, whoever. Yeah, yeah. You know, they, like you said, they count those. They know how many deer are there, and you, yeah. they, a certain amount have to be harvested, or else the population will become unhealthy and, yep, disease, you know, the, yeah. run out of food, get oh. hit by cars. I mean, we are the apex predator of those yeah. animals now because the, you know, wildcats and whatnot aren't bare. I mean, they're not going to be taking that many. So, uh huh. It, we are part of that process, even though, like you're saying, most people aren't. And the, sadly, a lot of the people making the rules or having opinions about it, they're, I get that they feel bad for animals getting killed, but they don't understand how it all plays yeah, out. Yeah. I mean, there's a big impact there. Yep. So here's kind of where I fall on that. If you're an anti-hunter, you better be a vegan because <laughs> right. I'm not even going to humor a conversation with you right. if you eat meat and you're against hunting. 
But if you're a vegan, you know, we can talk. I'm sure that there's some philosophical discussion to be had about I just tell people <laughs> I eat things that eat your food. That's how I look at it, you know. I'm, nice. I'm a vegetarian, just one step packed, you know, uh-huh. second stage vegetarian. Yeah, yeah. there you go. <laughs> there you go, yeah. <laughs> like that. Vegetarian once removed. Right. Well, I've really enjoyed our conversation, some really awesome encouraging inspiring powerful things said eric or dennis if you guys have any final thoughts you'd like to share to wrap up our discussion i love what you guys are doing i think it's awesome thank you i'll be praying that god really blesses it and thank you and encourages a lot of a lot of hunters and fishermen you know there's it's a big sport yeah well and I, i think we were kind of discussing this out in the hallway um there's a local professional fisherman that kind of changed the way i looked at hunting and fishing because of who he was and the story that, you know, he was sharing. Right. Um, and he made himself readily available to, you know, kind of share his testimony or his story. Uh, and I'll tell you guys this one real quick story. So he became a professional fisherman, goes out, wins this huge major tournament. We're talking about $200,000 plus pot. Wow. So, it, it just turned out that the sponsor for the event was Anheuser-Busch. And it went against his convictions to take the money. So he won the tournament, but he didn't take the 250 Oh, my goodness. Good for him. Wow. And I'm like, man, that takes a lot of dedication. What is it that that guy has to not turn around and take $250,000? Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't know about you guys. I'm... $250,000 shy right now. <laughs> I mean, that's a house. That's yeah. incredible. It kind of got me thinking, you know, what's this guy have that other people don't? And that's exactly what he had. Was... What is it about him that wow. causes him to stick to his convictions, yep. even to that extreme degree? And how does that overlap with the outdoors? How can we as mm-hmm. outdoorsmen glean from that? And so I think you were a great first guest to have oh, on. Oh, man, that's an honor. And it really is. Your source uh, hearing just a little bit of your story, but getting to kind of chat about uh, outdoor-related things, you know, uh, mm-hmm. I think we can all glean something from your your positivity, your own uh, ambition. But where where you claim the source of that is from the Lord and mm-hmm. your relationship with God. So, thank you for being our first guest. Yes, thank yeah, you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. It's been a fun conversation, and yeah. we're looking forward to more. All right. Yeah. Signing out. That'll do it. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Man, thanks, guys. That was fun.